Well, please be seated and uh, turn with me to the passage we read uh, earlier, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 31, uh, verses 1 to 8. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, and we ask that the Spirit of Christ would be with us even now, that we would hear the Lord Jesus speak to us from your word, and that you would show us show us Jesus, we ask in his name. Amen. Well, today is Hogmanay, New Year's Eve. Uh, tomorrow is the beginning of a new year. But in many ways, it could be any date, couldn't it? The Orthodox New Year is on the 14th of January. The Chinese New Year is on the 20th of February. The Persian New Year is on the 20th of March. And the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah, begins on the 2nd of October. Uh, here in Scotland, uh, King James the Sixth, before he was uh, King James the First, King James the Sixth of Scotland in the year 1600, uh, decreed that the 1st of January should be New Year's Day. Uh, before that, as far as I can see, in the medieval years, New Year's Day changed. It could have been a day in March. It was sometimes a day in September, sometimes uh, December. But in 1600, King James I decided that the 1st of January should be New Year's Day. But that date was to change, even though it stayed the same. Yeah, you heard me right. That date was to change even though it stayed the same. For 150 years later, 1750, Great Britain as a whole adopted the Gregorian calendar instead of the Julian calendar in the 1750 Calendar Act. But when we shifted from the Julian calendar to the Gregorian calendar, we had to lose 11 days. And as a result, when that act, that 1750 act came into being, which was 1752, the 1st of January in 1752, yes, it was still New Year's Day, but under the old calendar, it was actually the 20th of December. So that meant that the old 1st of January came 11 days later on the 12th of January. Okay? And that is why as many of you will know, that here in the Highlands and Islands, particularly in the Gaelic-speaking regions, but not just there, people will still talk about the old New Year, the old New Year. And it's also why in Burghead, just along the coast on the Murray Coast here, the burning of the clave takes place on the 11th of January, which is the old New Year's Eve. I hope you're all with me. But I'm not going to quiz you on that. But the point is, whatever date, whatever date we choose to celebrate the new year, we can be sure of two things as we look ahead into 2024, of at least two things. Firstly, that some things will change. And secondly, that some things will stay the same. Those of you who have been uh, regular members and attenders here will know that we've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes uh, before the Christmas season. And we know from Ecclesiastes that fundamentally there is nothing new under the sun. So 2024 will be a year of life and death, war and peace, success and failure, sickness and health, sadness and joy, 
weddings and funerals, just as 2023 was. Life under the sun remains the same from year to year. On the other hand, as Ecclesiastes also teaches us, and this is what Ecclesiastes has been doing, isn't it? It brings things together that seem contradictory and paradoxical. On the other hand, Ecclesiastes teaches us that there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. And that means in our lives, and in our lives as God's people, the seasons will change. Because in God's sovereign providence, there is a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time to plant and a time to uproot. There's a time to mourn and a time to dance. So things change, even though they stay the same, a bit like New Year's Day in Scotland. Now, looking at Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 1 to 8, we see Moses is looking into the future. He's on the east side of the River Jordan. We saw that on a slide earlier on. And he's looking west towards the promised land. And the sun is about to set on his life. The sun is about to set on his 40 years of leadership of the children of Israel. It's a time of change. It's a time of something new. And yet it's also a time of no change. It's a time of something old, a time when some things will remain the same. And along with this time of change and this time of no change, there comes a challenge, a challenge to God's people and a challenge to us, which is an old new challenge, or if you like, a new old challenge. So just to put a little bit more flesh on those bones, firstly, it's a time of change. It's something new as Moses steps down and Joshua is commissioned as the next leader of God's people. It's a time of no change, something old, as the Lord, Yahweh, continues to be the supreme leader of God's people. And then thirdly, it's a time of challenge. The old new challenge or the new old challenge for God's people to be strong and courageous to not be afraid as they face the future. It's the age-old new challenge to face the future with faith, faith in the unchanging Lord, Yahweh, their God. So firstly then, it's a time of change. Moses is old. I think, I think we can say that 120 years is old. He's been leading God's people for 40 years, but the time has come for him to stand down, to hand over the reins, uh, to step aside, to hand over the controls to Joshua, his assistant. And we know from Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 21 to 27, that Moses had found it a struggle, a struggle to accept that he would not enter the promised land. Yes, he would see it, he could see it, but because of what happened back in Numbers 20, I said Numbers 13 earlier, it's Numbers 20. What happened in Numbers 20, and we don't have time to go into that, but because of what happened back there, he himself was not going to cross the River Jordan. It's a bit like the crown jewels in the Tower of London. You can see them, but you can't touch them. 
He could see the promised land, but Moses would not be able to touch it. But by the time we get to Deuteronomy 31, it seems that Moses has accepted the Lord's decision. He has accepted what the Lord says. <clears throat> Do you notice there at the end of verse 2? The Lord's, you shall not. You shall not. You shall not cross the Jordan. Now you think about it. Moses had been privileged many, many times to hear the Lord say, you shall. Many times, you shall. You shall lead this people out of slavery in Egypt. You shall see Pharaoh's army defeated. You shall see me bring manna, and you shall see water from the rock. You shall see meat come down from the sky, so much meat that will be coming out of people's nostrils in a very picturesque turn of phrase. You will see all this time and time again. Moses had seen. He had trusted the Lord, obeyed the Lord, and seen. Not perfectly, which is why he's not going into the promised land, but most of the time he had seen and trusted in the Lord's you shall. But now is the time for Moses to trust the Lord and submit to him when the Lord says, you shall not. You shall not cross the Jordan. Now, it's not always easy for us to accept the Lord's no when something is precious to us, especially when it's a good thing and concerns the Lord's work, like the Lord's promise of the promised land. Not long before I started as an assistant minister in Edinburgh, a woman in the church, a young woman, I say relatively young, middle-aged, still young, um, but she died of cancer. I never met her, but I met her husband. And his wife had been working for years on translating a Bible dictionary. I think it was a Bible dictionary rather than a Bible. She'd been working for years on translating a Bible dictionary into the local language for a country, for a people in East Asia. But when she became sick, it became clear that she was going to die before. It was finished. Someone else was going to have to take over the project. And that was not easy for her to understand or to accept. Come so far. But now someone else was going to have to complete the project. Now, up until that point, the Lord, no doubt, I am surmising here, but I think it's a fair uh, and accurate surmising. The Lord had no doubt answered many prayers, many of her prayers, with you shall. You shall. You shall have the money you need. Here is the time that you need. Here is the support that you need. Here is the publisher you need. But at the end, the Lord was saying, you shall not. You shall not see the end of this particular project. I have someone else in mind to complete this work. Now, I don't know the Lord's reason for that, but I do know, I do know that the Lord is wise, that the Lord is good, that the Lord is loving, and that the Lord alone is sovereign. And I also know that it is hard for us to let go of things that we have come to consider as our own, or perhaps even our right. And sometimes we need reminding 
that everything we have and everything we do, everything we do, even for the Lord, comes from the Lord himself and belongs to the Lord himself. You know, even those good works, even the good works that he has prepared in advance for us to do, have a time limit, a time limit. Either when we die, if not before it. Well, the old commander is standing down. A new commander is being commissioned. It's a time of change, a time of uncertainty, as it is when any leader changes, especially one as important as Moses. So that's why it's important for Joshua and for God's people to hear that it is also a time of no change, a time of no change. Now, there are eight verses in our Bible passage today. And there is a word that occurs eight times in these eight verses. Now, I've never done this before. Uh, first time ever. It might even be the last time. But I've made a, a word cloud. Okay, so Callum has it on a slide. Here's a word cloud of the passage when you put it into something free online. And it does this. And it brings out the most prominent word in the passage. And you can tell what that word is, can't you? Can't you? Can't you? Just for the sake of those listening. <laughs> it is the Lord. That is the word that comes out more than often in this eight verses. Eight times, Yahweh, Lord with capital letters, the covenant name of God, is emphasized. The unchanging God, the name revealed to Moses at the burning bush, the covenant name of God who promised to bring his people out of slavery in the land of Egypt into a land flowing with milk and honey, the God who had placed himself hundreds of years earlier to Abraham to be his God and that he and his descendants after him would be his people if they put their faith in him, the unchanging eternal, I am who I am, Yahweh the Lord. And this is the Lord who time and again has provided food and water and shelter for his people in the wilderness. The Lord who went ahead of his people day and night by a fiery cloud, never abandoning them despite their rebellion. I mean, if you know the story of the children of Israel, you know that they rebelled against the Lord time and time again. And the reason they're wandering 40 years in the wilderness is that they didn't obey the Lord to go straight up into the land at Kadesh Barnea. This is the Lord who fought for his people in their escape from Egypt, in the defeat of the Amalekites when Joshua was fighting. Moses was on the hill with Aaron and her holding up his hands. It was the Lord who made sure that Joshua had won the battle. And then later on, as it says here, the defeat of the Amorite kings, Sihon and Og, just east of the Jordan River. Yes, Joshua has been commissioned as the new commander, but the commander-in-chief remains the same. The commander-in-chief remains the same. And what a comfort, what a comfort that would be to Joshua and to God's people as they stand on the banks of the River Jordan looking into their future, looking into a future which was full of challenges and fights and struggles as well as opportunities. Just as we look ahead into 2024, 
Now, it's true that, as Christopher Wright, one of the commentators, has said, it's true that divine leadership is earthed in human leaders. Divine leadership is earthed in human leaders. It is incarnational, as he also says. And God used Moses, and God would use Joshua in important and significant leadership roles. But the truth is, whether it's Moses or Joshua or the prophet Samuel or King David or Nehemiah or the apostle Peter or the apostle Paul, the supreme leader, the commander-in-chief was and is always the Lord. The God of the covenant who had promised to redeem his people and make them his very own. And the same is still true today. Because where do we see the, the full expression, the, the, the completion of God's plan of redemption? It is in Christ the Redeemer, the Redeemer who was born. Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hail, redemption's happy dawn, we sang earlier. And it's true that Jesus, when Paul writes in Philippians 2 that Jesus has been given the name that is above all names, he's not talking about the name Jesus. He's talking about the name Lord, Yahweh. And maybe later on today or sometime this week, you might want to compare Philippians 2, verses 9 to 11 with Isaiah 45, verse 21 to 24. And you'll see there the connection between Yahweh and Jesus. Jesus is Yahweh, the God of the covenant incarnate in human form. So the Lord Jesus Christ is king and head of the church. He is the supreme commander. Whatever earthly leadership there might be. And it is true that his divine leadership is earthed through elders in particular, human beings who are commissioned and set apart for service like Joshua was. But Jesus Christ alone is our commander-in-chief. And we should not ever forget that. And we should let that be a comfort to us whenever earthly leaders or church leaders change. For in a time of change, there are some things that don't change. And the Lordship of Jesus Christ is one of them. Now, what does that mean in practical terms? Well, this passage, 31 verses 1 to 8, tells us three things. Three things that the Lord does for his people, that is for those looking over the River Jordan into the Promised Land. Three things that the Lord still promises to do for us here today as we look over the river of time, as it were, into the unexplored country of 2024. And the three things very simply are these. Firstly, the Lord goes ahead of his people. He prepares the way for us. Secondly, the Lord goes with his people. His presence goes with us. And then thirdly, the Lord fights for his people. In his power, he fights for us and secures victory for us. So Yahweh, the Lord our God, who has come to us in Jesus Christ, is a God of preparation, goes ahead of us, a God of presence, who is with us, and a God of power, who fights for us and secures the victory for us. So then we'll look at each, each of these just uh, briefly. Firstly, then, preparation. The Lord prepares the way for us. The Lord is our advance party. Anybody here ever been in the boys' brigade? 
at least one, two. I was in the Boys Brigade back in Northern Ireland, and every year we would have a camp. The battalion would come either to Scotland, to England, or to Wales for the summer camp. But every year from the Korean battalion, there would be an advance party. Now, I, I was never, either I was never old enough or never responsible enough to be put in the advance party, but my brother was. One of my brothers was in the advance party for setting up the, the camp. And the advance party, what was their job? It was to pre prepare the way, to prepare the camp, to put up the tents, to dig the pit that needed to be dug, dug to get the food in so there would be food and drink available for those coming later on. And the same way the Lord is our advance party going ahead of us. Look at verse 3. The Lord your God himself, this is Moses speaking to all Israel, the Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you. Look at verse 8 when he repeats it uh, particularly to Joshua. And Joshua needed to hear this personally as well as just as part of the people of Israel. The Lord himself goes before you. And we see that. We see that in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. The Lord is the God who goes ahead of his people, preparing the way. We see it in Acts 17, verse 26, where Paul tells the people in Athens how the Lord determines the boundaries of the nations and determines where every person is living. He says in Ephesians 2, verse 10, where Christians, those who have been saved by grace through faith in Christ, they are God's handiwork. God's handiwork called to do good works in Christ Jesus, which God has prepared in advance for them to do. Good works prepared in advance. We see it in Micah 2 verse 13, a passage that talks about God, the one going ahead, breaking open the way will go up before them. They will break through the gate and go out there. A king will pass before them, the Lord at their head. The Lord goes ahead of his people. He prepares the way for us. And that is true as we look ahead into 2024. There is nothing that will happen in 2024 that will take the Lord by surprise. Might take you and me by surprise. Probably will some things that will happen that will take us by surprise, but not the Lord. He goes ahead of us prepare the way for us. We see that supremely. I should have mentioned John 14, of course. Jesus says, do not be afraid. You trust in God, trust also in me. I go ahead of you to prepare a place for you. So not only preparing the way in this life, but preparing a home for us in his Father's house and promising to come and take us to be with him in the place that he has prepared for us. God is a God of preparation a God who goes ahead of us even into this new year. Then secondly, God is a God of presence. The Lord not only goes ahead of us, he goes with us. He is our constant companion. We see that in verse 6. At the end of verse 6, the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. A promise that is repeated in the New Testament in Hebrews 13. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Never. Whatever happens, whatever you do, even when you mess up, even when you make a, a complete horlicks of life, 
other drinks are available. He will never leave you nor forsake you. If you are his, if you are a child of God through faith in Christ, that is his promise. Not only to go ahead of you into the hospital appointments and the parents' teachers' evening and the exams and all the rest of it. He will never leave you or forsake you. The Lord goes with you. And again, it's repeated to Joshua, isn't it? Verse 8. The Lord himself will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And again, that is a truth we see all through Scripture. We sang Psalm 139. Where can we go? There's nowhere we can go to escape God's presence. Whether it's the brightest day or the darkest night, whether it's the highest heaven or even in the depths, you are there and your right hand holds me fast. Emmanuel, Jesus. All this took place to fulfill what the prophet has said, that the virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew 1.23 Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew 28 verse 20. The Lord goes with his people. He goes with us. His presence goes with us into 2024. And then thirdly, the Lord's power. The Lord is our victorious champion. He fights for us and secures victory for us. And it's true, isn't it, that, that past, past victories give confidence for future battles, don't they? Joshua had seen what had happened to the Egyptians. He had seen what had happened to the Amalekites. And do you remember that story when Moses was praying and, and, and the, it was the Lord who gave Joshua the victory, even though Joshua had to fight? Doesn't it say at the end of that story, make sure Joshua hears about this? Make sure Joshua hears about this. Make sure Joshua knows that it's because the Lord was fighting with him and for him and securing victory for him that he won. The Lord fights for us and secures victory for us. It's true, isn't it? You see that even before, even before Moses had led the children of Israel out of Egypt, even before Joshua took the children of Israel across the River Jordan, even before Jesus Christ was born, the Lord had already written the whole story of redemption, the whole story in eternity, all of it from beginning to end. And you see, the Lord will make sure, the Lord has always made sure and will always make sure that nothing or no one will stop his people getting to the next chapter in the story of redemption. And yes, it is a story whose final chapter concerns the Lord Jesus Christ, our Redeemer incarnate. What is he sometimes known as? Christus Victor. You could work out what that means, if you, even if you don't know exactly. Christ triumphant, Christ the victor, whose victory on the cross over sin, over Satan, over death. Well, we'll remember that particularly next Sunday at the Lord's Supper. And remember that it is a victory that Jesus wins for us. It is a victory 
Whereas we read in Colossians 2 verse 15 that Jesus, having forgiven us all our sins through his death on the cross, where he nailed all our condemnation to the cross, it says, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Victor on the cross. As we bring this to a close, remember this. If you belong to the Lord through faith in Jesus Christ, if you have been redeemed by him, by the same mercy and grace that redeemed the sinful, rebellious children of Israel, if you're fighting the same good fight of faith as Moses and Joshua and Samuel and Nehemiah and countless others through the ages, then remember this, the same Lord goes ahead of you into 2024, preparing the way. The same Lord goes with you into 2024, the presence that will never leave you or forsake you. And the same Lord will fight for you in 2024. And if the Lord is for us, who can be against us? Until that day when the God of peace himself will crush Satan under our feet. Therefore, what is the application? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Why? Because you don't need to be afraid. The Lord is going before us, is with us, and will fight for us. Don't be afraid. Be strong and courageous. Remember these things whenever you feel afraid. Whenever you wake up feeling not very strong, not very courageous. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. The Lord goes ahead of us. The Lord is with us. The Lord fights for us. And if God himself is for us, who can be against us? Whatever the new year brings to you or to me. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that we are so privileged to see in Jesus Christ the the climax and the fulfillment of all your promises in Scripture. And in a sense, we can be doubly assured, or triply, even more so, of your presence with us, of your going ahead before us, preparing the way in this life and for eternity, and also the promise that you will fight for us, that your victory, that Jesus won on the cross is something that can be applied and worked out in our lives day by day. Yes, in our own spiritual battles, but also in the struggles and the conflicts and the difficulties and the circumstances we face. So help us, Father, for we are weak. Help us to be strong. Help us to be courageous. Help us not to be afraid. Help us to remember that we don't need to be afraid. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat>